a listener production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out this morning when driving my children to daycare. I was talking to my husband, and I used the word gay and realized that I've never actually spoken to them specifically about the meaning of that word. So then my daughter said, what is gay? I almost had to pull over the darn car. I was like, I haven't had a coffee yet. This feels like a really important moment for a four-year-old. But now they officially know that what their fathers are is labeled gay. Today, we are welcoming a new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Brooke. Brooke, can you introduce yourself and tell us when you first came out and if you remember when you last came out. (laughs) Hello. Um, So my name is Brooke Blurton and I first came out, I think I just spontaneously rocked up at a family dinner with my first girlfriend, Tara. And I think that was like a big moment of like all my family realizing like, hey, this is just more than a friend. Um, And I think I last came out probably like half an hour ago when I actually had to do another (laughs) video podcast. Brooke Clurton is a proud Noongar Yamaji woman. Australia first fell in love with Brooke in the Honey Badgers season of The Bachelor back in 2018. And we fell in love with her even more when she appeared on Bachelor in Paradise one year later in 2019. And now she is creating television history, not only in Australia, but around the world by being the first Indigenous openly bisexual bachelorette in the history of the franchise. If that sounds like a lot of pressure, it is. Okay, here's Brooke. I would love to take a step back with you, uh, a trip down memory lane, if you will. Where did you grow up and what was life like back then? Like, who did you live with? Paint a picture for me of, of, of your childhood. Yeah, I grew up in WA. So I'm actually a WA girl from, typically from a, a rural town called Carnarvon. And it's about nine 130 kilometers north of Perth. And yeah, and then half my life in Carnarvon, half my life in Perth. I kind of spent my childhood a very country gal, very coastal. Like I loved the beach, um, kicking the footy with my brothers. I grew up a very sort of, I guess, our family, um, you know, we kind of lived in like a low socioeconomic area. So we didn't have a lot, but look, we made do with what we had. And I'm always so grateful about the, you know, the childhood that I had in some part, but um, yeah, it's definitely had its challenges and its moments. Um, 
But I, yeah, I think I look at those now and really value the learnings and the lessons that I've learned from them. Yeah, I kind of hope that pitches. And I think obviously now (laughs) my whole world is just a a little bit unusual. To say the least, my friend, um, did you know any queer people growing up? Were there uh, examples of LGBTQI plus individuals around you uh, when you were a child? In Carnarvon, probably not so much. I I had um, this couple, my friend's mums, who were a same-sex relationship and they kind of they were the only lesbian couple that I knew of and that were openly gay. I think they're the ones that have really, I guess, like I look back at that experience and really taught me that love is a feeling and love is like so undefined. Like, so I got kind of adopted by them in some sense when I was a younger and I was a little cheeky D because they were my best friend's parents. And I used to spend a lot of time with her after school. And then I would like get on the weekends, they would take me out and like probably just not bring me home for like a couple of days. <laughs> um, my, parents were okay like my mum at the time was like okay with it because she just thought like she knew my best friend and yeah they were the only openly gay couple that I knew and you know I it actually was the only stable relationship that I ever saw in those years because both my parents weren't together and because of the welcoming and the most amazing feeling that you know I'd go over the house and feel so supported and Even that was just like, yeah, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for that experience. And then when I moved to Perth, I think I was surrounded by more, but it was more high school then. Awesome. And I understand that your father's English and your mother is Indigenous Malaysian. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So my mom's, yeah, Aboriginal Malaysian mix and my dad's. English. Um, He's kind of, I don't actually know where his heritage is, so beyond my ignorance. I'm so sorry. No, I'm really interested. When we have a conversation around coming out, oftentimes we look at it in isolation. We just look at the specific person's experience. But what we usually do is we try to paint a picture of who we're telling. And usually uh, the person on the other end of that table or outside of the closet is a family member. But what we don't do is spend a lot of time understanding and dissecting the parents. And I know that you would know that uh, English English people, there's a, a rich history of LGBTQI plus activism, conversations. They have had us represented in the media longer than most countries. And then when it comes to indigenous representation and Malaysian representation, it's a little more tricky if I'm being honest, if I'm being blunt, specifically Malaysian, because it is currently still very legal. Uh, to be gay. Sodomy in that country would potentially, uh, you know, you can go to jail for up to 20 years. And so I'm interested in your upbringing, in your family environment. Did you have an idea of what your parents would have thought about queer people? Did it ever come up? It actually didn't. Um, Not too much. Like my... My childhood, I think, like, I was a bit of a tomboy, so I naturally, like, was a bit more masculine than even my brothers. And I think, you know, like, I held my own and I was, like, always taught to be really tough because overall, like, my mum is a very open and honest person. Unfortunately, you know, she passed away when she, when I was 11. 
So in that stages of like really finding and growing into my younger self, like even as a young girl, I didn't actually have a lot of like females around me. And um, to really kind of explain these things, I kind of had to really grow up really quite quickly, but they didn't talk about it. And I definitely do believe that, yeah, my Nana or my mom really, it was so unspoken about. Um, I used to see it on TV. Like I actually used to just like sit in front of the TV, um, and knew like, you know, what a lesbian was and what a gay guy was, but we just never really spoke about it. Yeah. I don't know. There's two separate parts of my childhood really, because the first bit is my life in Carnarvon and growing up quite in a rural town and it, um, you know, and just kind of making do. And then the next part of it is moving to Perth and really finding myself in my teenage years. And if it wasn't for footy, um, AFL footy (laughs) and being surrounded by girls that really kind of like sort of took me in and really kind of made me feel so normal and supported for, I guess, well, this attraction that I had to women, to women, then I probably would have still been so conflicted in like my adult years, but I'm so lucky that I had those people in my life. I don't know if that really answers your, your question, Sean, but I feel like you're absolutely right in terms of the representation. Like there's just not a lot of it and it's not spoken about. You bring up a lot of really beautiful things that I think are valuable, especially for younger people. For people who grew up in cities, um, Brisbane, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, their experience of being surrounded by people who look and talk and act and date like you and I, um, it, it just so obviously is more prevalent. And so you see young queer people at least getting some examples all around them. Whereas people who live in smaller parts of our country, smaller towns, people who grew up in farms, people who live in the middle of the bush, oftentimes are just never presented with queer people. And and usually we hear that they didn't even see a ton of television or listening to radio. And so their idea of what it meant to be queer was really looking in the mirror. Um, and so I guess kind of what I'm trying to kind of pull out is understanding like what impact it would have had on you when you discover, oh, wow, I am attracted to women. But I guess it's a really beautiful segue is you've had this young life where you're not seeing a ton of examples. You do have this beautiful lesbian couple, which at least teaches you that, hey, lesbians can get together and they can be parents. And look, they seem happy. This is wonderful. Like what a beautiful entry point to queerness. When did you realize at what point, I'm guessing it was in Perth, that you actually were attracted to women? I think it was like the end of primary school. I at first just thought it was like this random crush that I just had on my PE teacher. (laughs) I used to think she was the hottest thing. Still do. She's probably like aged really well if I get in touch. But um, then I started to like really question myself and I always had, you know, the crush on my best friends and I would never act on it because like I felt like it was like, I don't know, I had this confliction, which is a natural sort of process that I, you know, that sometimes young people go through. And I think it was early in my high school years that I was like, 
I know that this is not going away because it just never did. And I was made to feel in high school like really bad about it because my friends were like, oh, you're a lesbian. And I'm like, well, if I was a lesbian, who cares? Like whatever. But they had a confliction with it and that made it wrong for me. And that's, yeah. But then I kind of just started to like ignore it. And um, the more I hung out with like, a more supportive crew, like my footy girlfriends, then the more I felt comfortable about being with myself. And that started a huge progression in really stepping into the skin that I truly believe is just me. (laughs) Isn't it wild how important and detrimental it can be to be surrounded by people who don't support you? Like long before you even know your truth, if a bunch of people around you are like, ew, lesbian, the likelihood of you exploring it or coming out to them decreases with every single negative word. I don't think people realize the power of those flippant comments you make where you say, oh, that's so gay. That one sentence in one conversation with one friend, one random night might actually deter them from ever speaking their truth to you. Well, that's exactly it. And if I didn't have that, just that community of people like, would I even be in the position right now? Like, would I still be conflicted in some way? I don't think so, because I know that I would have, like, you know, um, my light would have shined anyways. But I just feel like, yeah, I'm so grateful for the, the close friends that I had in that time that really just encouraged me to just be me and and just, like, own it. And, yeah, like, I've learned along the way and like how to navigate conversations. I haven't always, it hasn't always been just like a smooth run of, <laughs> of things. I've been also, you know, very tokenized on different platforms and, you know, categorized and labeled as you can imagine, Sean. <laughs> well, now I have to ask, um, you will understand fluidity more than anyone. Uh, it's such a beautiful part of your current advocacy is discussing the fact that constant labels and putting you in boxes and pointing fingers and asking you questions is like not really your game. It doesn't make total sense to you. And it doesn't make sense to a lot of queer people. But specifically around bisexuality, when you start to notice you're attracted to women, did you go down a rabbit hole of going, am I a lesbian? Or am I like, did did you try to almost put yourself in a box? Absolutely. I think only like a couple of years, like when my relationship sort of broke down, I was like, like why, you know, why I kept questioning myself again. And I was like, what the hell? Like, why do I keep doing this? And then I just realized like equally on par, like I adore both male and female. And I have actually, you know, been in a relationship with a non-binary person. I just solely have learned Like I've learned just to solely love the purity of the person and it doesn't really matter to me. Like I'm really open about this and I personally don't ever feel like I've ever been loved unconditionally, but I really do love to love unconditionally. And I think... For me, I just always just wanted to be loved um, as a young person, as an adult, and even now. (laughs) And I'm so lucky that I've been 
so loved by my my supportive family and friends, but that always hasn't been the case. You know, I've had experience in bouncing around in foster homes and stuff, which really impacts on a person's, you know, and a young person's identity. And I think that was where it all kind of extended from was just like not ever feeling wanted and then being then pushed into like these different boxes and then being labeled things and not truly knowing who I am. Um, but I think I've learned to break down huge stereotypes and huge boundaries by just challenging that and being like, that doesn't fit me. It's not my personality. It's not me. So I'm not going to identify with it. So <laughs> move on. <laughs> oh, it's so powerful. It makes me emotional because as a member of the queer community, I don't think a single one of us can pretend that bisexuals and pansexuals don't get the shit end of the stick. And I, and I mean that seriously. I mean it in the media. I mean it within queer spaces. Oftentimes, labels are chucked at, or not even labels, sorry, sentences, like bisexuals are just on their way to Gayville, or when you're dating a, a, a girl, you're really a lesbian, you're not actually pansexual, like a, a constant narrative of questioning one's identity. And then you layer that on top of a childhood that you've articulated of not feeling like you have a home or feeling welcomed. And then to think that that person is the one on television painting a new picture for young queer people, for young bisexuals, for young pansexuals, that the person who is hurting most could make a career that is going to shape and redefine the entire queer experience for young Australians, it, like, takes my breath away. <laughs> You're making me really emotional. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been easy um, because even now, like, you know, it's all just equally more amplified, if anything. And, you know, and you want to make sure that you were doing it with so much integrity, not only to yourself, but to the communities that you represent. And that's just so much pressure. But I have just promised myself, and this is the mentality that I go into, is that there are so many layers to me that people don't realise that, you know, they're only getting a small, like, I would only say, like, you're only getting 1% of me, mm. you know, and, and in face value or even just what you read, you're only getting 1%. And I try to take that with a grain of salt that people are only going to take what they see and, hear, and hear rather than, you know, when you have a conversation. But when people get to know me, they do realise that I've got so many different layers. I'm so proud of where I've come from, like considering that this little brown girl who was a massive tomboy who really had sort of been in such a survival mode to just really navigate like life and to live <laughs> has built what I have now and not on anyone's back, just on my own. Mm. And because it comes from an extension that I just want young people to feel represented, heard and seen and to to live in the comfort, you know, live in their skin comfortably um, without so much confliction like I had. 
Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. I know that that's not super easy to talk about. And I don't by no means want to put the pressure on you. I can completely relate to waking up one day and then accidentally being an advocate. You're like, wait a minute, I'm actually just living. This is just who I am. That's exactly like you. Yeah, you're really just taking day by day. And that's exactly what I'm I'm doing. Yeah. But it is a lot of pressure. But I, you know what? I was like, I feel like a partly I was like built for this because I'm like, you know what? I've got a strong, strong backbone and that's like thanks to my mum and that's thanks to like my ancestors as well who like, you know, who gave me this strength. (laughs) That's so true. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm going to change directions. I didn't think that I was going to go down this path, but I think you're having conversation. You're having a lot of conversations. I know doing a lot of little press junkets and tours and I want to just give you an opportunity to potentially kind of answer some of the stereotypes around bisexual, pansexual. Um, A lot of people who aren't fans of us, (laughs) largely the entire community, often have these stereotypes. And I'm wondering, when you're in a relationship with someone of um, the opposite sex or even of the same sex, how quickly do you feel that you have to tell them about your attraction to the other gender? Does that come into play when you're going on a date? Like, oh, at what point do I have to bring it up to see if they're cool? <laughs> I think it's been different for for different people. Yeah, like sometimes things come into play really quickly in relationships, but I, I've never felt a lot of pressure to tell people. I know that um, when I first went on The Bachelor, I felt a lot of pressure to have this like coming out like Brooke's secret or whatever it was when they emphasized on that but I think um the uncomfortableness was really that you know I didn't know how they were going to play it on tv and all that stuff you know the background stuff but um when I'm dating like you know I I think in the gay community in Perth I think a lot of people sort of know I don't know. I find it easier when you date another girl because people kind of know one another. Mm. So they know that you've dated guys because they've seen it and, you know, mutual friends. Um, But, yeah, with guys, I guess I'm just really just, like, open about it in the early stages. I'm like, hey, yeah, I've dated girls. I'm attracted to girls. It's, It's me. Like, they don't take it, you know, too much into account. I don't think they've ever been, like, uncomfortable about it. Um, and vice versa with girls. I was actually going to ask, are women or men on average more comfortable with the label bisexual? I actually don't know how to answer that one. Like it's, yeah, I don't know how to measure it, if I'm being honest, because I, the only person that I think has ever been really that uncomfortable and has brought it up so much um, about my attraction to women is probably one of my ex-boyfriends. Other than that, I've had like the most beautiful experiences dating with, you know, people just knowing that it's it's just me, like it's that it, it's not a big thing. They just love me as me. Yeah. I know that sounds really cliche, but <laughs> No, I think it's powerful, but the reason I'm even asking is I don't know if you've thought about this, but I obviously watched the first episode of The Bachelorette, um, and I w- and I w- got to witness something that felt very new to me, very revolutionary. For many of us, when we're going out and dating, um, we have to label ourselves. We have to label ourselves on apps. We have to label ourselves with our friends. 
When we go to bars, we accidentally label ourselves sometimes. It's like quite annoying. And when you're going to meet someone, you got to drop the labels. There's an introduction that occurs. But on the first episode of your show, everybody knew. I mean, everybody knew. Because it was a TV show. They had to go through the casting process, I imagine. And so because of that, the confidence that you exuded in not necessarily needing to be like, hi, I like men and women. You just got to be felt really beautiful to me and also felt rare. Rare that you can walk into a space looking for love and not have to um, identify it. And then because of that, it felt like your interactions, and again, this is just a feeling and an observation, but it felt like your interactions, you guys got to skip a bunch of steps. Those annoying steps of being like, I also like women and then like see where things land. I was wondering if you felt that way, like this this confidence and this ease that you're walking into a situation where people understand you right off the bat. I, in that moment, like in, in when I take it back to that time, I remember just feeling super supported and so encouraged just to be myself. You know, there's got to be things and it sucks that we kind of have to feel like we have to put these things in place to to feel ourselves. But um, the network and, and production really put a lot of effort into making the space, one, culturally safe um, by getting a First Nations consultant and, two, getting another inclusion consultant that sort of cross-referenced the right language with, you know, like I guess teaching the crew about the right language to use around, you know, different, you know, pronouns and, you know, breaking down these stereotypes of that people um, might have. And that was just for crew. So that made me feel really comfortable. So then I just didn't really feel like I had to explain myself. Like everyone knew why I was there, the crew, the staff, every like participant that came on like they knew exactly why I was there they knew obviously I'm representing so much but the core reason was that I was in hope that I would find love and find my person and it just so happened that I wanted both genders or even non-binary either other like it doesn't that wasn't even a, a in like a key part of it really was the core focus and that's exactly what I wanted yeah I hope that answers because I think like I wasn't even thinking about the gravity of it all at the time I was like this is just huge for me and this is my moment (laughs) I think that's beautiful it also makes me feel like maybe some of the work that was done by the production team is is really exactly why it's important to have visibility why it's important for people who have different pronouns to talk about it and help educate. It's why it was so revolutionary to have platforms like Instagram ad pronouns because that's the producer, right? That That's taking the role of saying, hey, we're going to help educate so that you get to just feel comfortable. You just get to be yourself without having to do all this explaining that's not... That's annoying. It just is. I know it is, and you know it is. It, it, it sometimes hinders your ability to connect with people when there's all of these weird elephants in the room. That's like, how much do you know? Yeah, but if it's making, you know, I'm like partly the protagonist in this part, you know, this show, like if it's making me feel that I can be comfortable, that's also going to allow 
the participants that coming on the show whom are already feeling so uncomfortable and, you know, there's so many unknowns for them and they're so uncertain that I can also make them feel comfortable in the process too. And I, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets, but I, I'm so, you know what, and I, I know that this is, you know, we just keep on living, but, you know, a lot of people are putting a lot of pressure on the franchise that, you know, this was supposed to be like, you know, heavy ratings and all that sort of stuff. But I think there's just so much more depth and substance to it that is so much more important than ratings. And I hate that people are so solely focused on it being like a um, a repair of the franchise or it being something like a step up. Really, it's like a step into mm. um, the right place where we should be in terms of diversity, in terms of cultural appropriation, in terms of, you know, representing minority groups. I think it's just, yeah, it's got so much more depth, so much more substance. And I think if people actually focus on those core things for a mainstream television rather than ratings, I think, yeah, everyone will like, you know, become woke, like switch it, (laughs) switch up, like wake up people. (laughs) I wonder how many of those people who are making those criticisms are straight. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I don't know a single queer person. And there are obviously all of us are watching (laughs) on average, all of us, hundred percent are watching this show and are just constantly finding yourself shocked at the types of conversations that are happening on your TV that feel like a normal part of our community, but getting to turn on television and see people talk about gender, sexuality, diversity, pronouns, like, and that's just your day-to-day life. You're just having beautiful, honest conversations, and we're being blessed that we're the fly on the wall observing it. A big part of this show is helping young people understand what's possible for them, right? Because a lot of people listening aren't out of the closet yet. Or maybe they came out of the closet and their parents didn't accept them. And so what we need in life is is opportunities to see ourselves living happy, healthy lives. And so when we speak about young people, these young people who get the opportunity to watch this show on television and see your truth, I'm really interested, a young, bisexual, pansexual, questioning version of Brooke in Australia, living anywhere, who's questioning their sexuality and isn't sure uh, who they are. I'm really interested, what kind of advice do you have for young people who are on this journey and aren't sure about speaking their truth? What would you say to them? I think there'd be so much because I've, I've been writing like paragraphs of, you know, what I would tell my younger self. And every time... I go to write, I just get so emotional because I'm like, oh my God, I would just tell you, like, I'm, I'm so proud of you for surviving and like, you know, just leaning into who you are. I think the first thing for me would be just like telling my younger self or a young person is to surround yourself with the people that make you feel like you. And like, I would just rely on the people that don't make you feel like to be any different or make you feel conflicted. You know, there's like so many other cliche things that I, I could say that I, I tell my young people in in talks about, you know, owning your true self. And 
But I think for me, it was the people that I surrounded myself with um, and it was the people that loved me unconditionally that helped me become me, really. <laughs> were, there, were there people in your life who were not accepting of your sexuality? Yes, so many. And you slowly filter those people out. I think even, you know, some of my gay friends didn't really understand bisexuality, um, still don't. And they kind of, you know, can't comprehend, like, having an attraction to more than one gender. You know, for them, it's it's seen as, like, a scale. You're either on one scale or the other. And I'm like, no, that's not ne- necessarily how it works. But, you know, some people just, you don't see eye to eye. And I'm not going to put myself into a box just because you say that it's not, you don't believe that it's true or right in the sense, you know what I mean? So mm. it's like own your true self and don't be so, don't just be unapologetic. I think I've been unapologetic since I was like day, like 11 years old and I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> what do you do when people aren't accepting? Are there th- things that you can do. I'm thinking specifically around people who you're really close with. Because obviously it's one thing if like a random friend from footy doesn't believe your sexuality. You basically don't have to be friends with them. But if it's a family member or an extended family member or a colleague, it's a little harder. Like you have to be in their orbit. And I'm just interested if you have any background or experience in, in how you can show someone that who you are is worthy of love and support. See, that's such a hard thing for me to sort of I guess everyone kind of already knew that I liked girls. I made it very obvious um, and I was very obvious in, in verbal about it. Um, so I've never had a close family member that has really kind of been uncomfortable about it in any way and has said that they wouldn't support me. So I can't speak from that experience but I have had run-ins and I guess had have had conversations where I could definitely feel like people are undermining me in some way and, and kind of questioning my sexuality and that has nothing to do with them. But it's kind of like you take power of it, power of it, and you kind of, you it's part of you it's who you are and if you don't identify the way that they're describing you then you have every right to sort of stand up for yourself and and kind of challenge their thinking I personally I am a bit of a feisty nut (laughs) (laughs) you know I've kind of been so shoved around and put into boxes and categories and labeled so much that I'm not afraid to sort of challenge people's thinkings and why. And I like challenging stereotypes because I've had so many put onto me, not even my own sexuality, like even my nationality has been impacted. But if we're just talking about, you know, sexuality in some way in just this conversation, then I'm just like, it's one of it's none of their business and if they have a way of thinking then that's fine but if you're willing to sort of you know educate and you know share compassion and empathize like if they're willing to empathize in some way and be like put yourself in their shoes or put yourself in you know vice versa it's like well I use it as you know 
if I have children and they identify as gay and they're my own born children or foster children, why would I want them to live a life of confliction and not feel a comfortable life of living? You know what I mean? Like I want them to have the best quality of life. Um, And like, you know, all my experiences have sort of layered on one, layered on one another to build me up to this person. Like I always, I wasn't always this, you know, strong-minded and so set and finding, but I have learned the way, like if you don't own your truth, like are you really living, you know, your most fulfilled life? And I love where I'm at now. Like I love the person that I am now and I wouldn't change that for the world, whether that's, you know, <laughs> getting labels and names and titles thrown at me. I I know who I am to the core and, you know, I know what I identify with as well, which is so much more than like just a TV identity. It's, yeah, my real identity is obviously just Brooke. Well, I'm excited that the rest of us get to continue to watch that journey. Um, you love love. We love watching you love. Um, and I guess my final question is, you're a big part of this, um, whether you like it or not, but the world is changing right in front of our eyes. It's becoming more accepting. We have more representation. What do you see for the future for LGBTQI plus people? Do you think that there'll just be more and more representation? Is this just the start? <laughs> I don't even know. This is still, like, I think we're just getting started. Absolutely. Like, I think we're seeing it now. Like, I think this is, I feel like game changing, <laughs> not only just like, you know, my series, but I think for the LGBTQI community, it's just going to, we're going to see it so much more. It's going to be so normalized. I didn't even think like we're going to be having these conversations because it's just going to be like such a progressive thing. Um, but I think this, you know, this podcast, you people talking about it is just like generally just like normalizing it. So making more people feel more comfortable in their skin and living more fulfilled lives. That's all. I think, yeah, we'll see from a youth perspective. Like I hope that, you know, we see less people um, struggling with their identity and struggling with mental health um, issues around it because I would love to see that because I, I hate seeing young people um, not so fulfilled with themselves. So, like, that's where I would like to, <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> well, cheers and here's to a future where we don't have to have these types of conversations. I am all for that. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I'm excited to continue to watch your journey on The Bachelorette. Um, and, I, and I hope you have just a wonderful week. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed chatting today. Sorry, it's been such a whirlwind. Oh, God. What a moment. It makes it so much more exciting. We will remember this, Brooke. We will. How are you guys? How are you feeling? I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you. And if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus 18 is the first one. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events and they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social. 
Uh, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight and their website is minus one eight dot org dot au but they are not a helpline so if you're looking for support in that way you can call q life they're at one eight hundred one eight four five two seven they offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m to midnight um, so if you want to talk to someone about your gender your sexuality your identity relationships any feelings that's a perfect place but if you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 131114. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Kawa Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A Podcast. You can also follow me. Uh, my handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P. Yes. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community, and I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, you can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link, do whatever you want to help get the message out there. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me and me alone. No one helped me in the creation of the show. I'm kidding. My name is Sean Zepps, but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out. Um, My producer, my number one, Lindsay Green, our executive producer, Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.